You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's not paying a lot for this muffler. It's Jeff McLaws Huge. <laughs> it's true, I'm not. I'm stealing it off of your car, Bill. That's what that sawing noise is that you can hear outside of your house as we do the podcast. That, that happened to me a couple of years ago because I'm a Honda guy. I've had Hondas like pretty much steadily for like the last 20 years. And the thing is... If you were to collect all of the parts to and make your own Honda like from the ground up, it would cost you yep. probably around a quarter of a million dollars. You're better off buying them put together. Because <laughs> the parts, of the, you know, whenever something breaks on it, thankfully I've had very, very good luck with the Hondas and I haven't had a lot of like repairs done, knocking, knocking, knocking. And, right, uh, right. But one thing that happened was um, the muffler had let go. Basically the muffler system on a Honda is one long piece. From the tailpipe to the the catalytic converter or whatever up there is one long piece, and I had, I had described the uh, you know the problem to my mechanic. I said I start up the car and it's like it's super loud, and then a couple of minutes later it's it's back to normal. He goes, "Oh yeah, your muffler pipe is broken." I was like, "You can right. you can you know that already?" And you didn't even look at my car. He goes, "Yeah." The exhaust system is all one long piece. He goes, so you have a crack in there, and then as things heat up, it closes up the crack. So you're hearing it real loud, and then it closes up the crack, and then the muffler system kicks in. I was like, oh, okay. How much is that going to be? He's like, yeah, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's bad? I'm going to trump. I'm going to trump your Honda okay. cost. I see your Honda with my second. I see your Honda, and I raise you two Volkswagens. All right. Now, I had hold a, on. Before you even start. Okay. <laughs> we both had an 89 Volkswagen, All so right. those those cancel each other out. But I also did not learn my lesson from that. I bought a second one, yes, and that was the dumbest thing that I've ever done as far as car. Well, with the exception of buying a Jeep, but <laughs> that's a whole different animal. Yeah, my Volkswagen, the check engine light used to come on so often, I just assumed it was meant to be on, and I, I learned that. The, the only way to make that little check engine light go off was to spend $500 at the dealership. <laughs> it takes bribes. And it was, and that's, it was just, it should have just been a $500 light, <laughs> a little light with 500 next to it. Cause that's what it cost every time. And it didn't matter if it was, it didn't matter what it was for. It was always $500. Not, not good vehicles. Anyway, um, you know, the Twibley does not endorse <laughs> Honda of America or Volkswagen or dis- dispute the quality claims that made by those corporations. Yes. Uh, terrible cars notwithstanding, yep. Bill. Why don't we jump right in with our trivia question this week? Okay, my trivia question this week. In what country were Venetian blinds invented? Well, that's, that seems pretty easy. That's deceptively easy, yep. Bill. Just like last week. It's deceptively easy. Yep. It's like if I buy Vienna bread at the supermarket, I'm pretty sure it didn't come all the way from Austria. So I want to I think about this till the end of the show and then give you the right answer. 
So, hey, you know how to make a Venetian blind? You poke him in the eyes. <laughs> All right. Yes. Very well done. All right. Okay. All right. Let's uh, get this. Let's just get this show rolling. Let's have a podcast. All right. This is the week beginning December the 7th, and you will yes. You will start. Ah, well, all right. December the 7th, 1972, the Apollo 17 is launched. That's the last manned lunar landing mm. mission where the crew of the lunar lander takes the world-famous blue marble photo showing the entire Earth in frame. Ah. Bill and I both grew up seeing this this picture was probably in every single elementary and middle school classroom oh, was, in the United States. It was, it was seriously, it was the cover for our yearbook in middle school. It became the the focal point of Carl Sagan's writing about life on the blue marble, like what we need to do to protect Earth from pollution, etc., our own bumbling attempts to harness energy, uh, and that we are all on this one blue marble together, that we're sort of all one, we're all from the same place. So it's an amazing photograph. I don't know what equipment we used to, we was used to take Polaroid. it, but <laughs> a Polaroid <laughs> land camera, which we learned is is named that because it was invented by a guy named Land, not just for taking pictures yep. of rocks. The astronaut um, like takes it, just puts it in his pocket for it to develop. Right. I got a good one. All right. Now let's see if we can get one with the astronauts waving. Right. So everybody, uh, everybody stand a, a little closer to a, the it's left. It's a beautiful photo. <laughs> call it right. back to call it back to Earth. We have to wait. We'll have to wait 14 hours so we can get Mars in the picture too. Get the whole family together. You know, it's an amazing photo. And there haven't, there weren't many pictures taken of Earth from space by 72. I think the most famous, the first one was was taken in the 1960s, early mm-hmm. 1960s. So that perspective of Earth from somewhere else is so rare and so evocative that it's still it's still a picture to look at and marvel at, even in the age where we have satellite photography and stuff. There was a great. Uh, point about that picture it said everybody that has ever lived or died is in this picture except for the people that yep. took it yeah right so it's something to think about yep. for sure and that was also yeah. our last trip to the moon like we haven't been back yes. since then and i remember asking my father i was like how come we haven't been back to the moon since you know 1972 he goes because there's nothing there what's the point of going <laughs> what's the point of there's going there's a lot of money you know, to get there, and there's, there's nothing there. We've been there. We've done it. We we shook shook our dicks at Russia, going ha and nana nana nana, and you know, that's that's the last of it. Although um, right. there is some talk about us returning, I yes. I guess yep. sometime soon, maybe for the fiftieth anniversary or something. Well, it'll probably be tied some to something more scientific than the anniversary but i know it's the moon has always been described as a staging area for us to have exploration deeper into our solar system whether it's to mars or uh, points beyond because it it provides that place where you're outside of the gravity well of earth for the most part so you don't need as much fuel to take off to get to where you're going so there's a potential use of it there but there are some concerns too like is the moon going to be like antarctica which no nation has claimed to or is it going to be Sort of as some science fiction writers have posited, whoever lands there first and puts a colony there owns the whole thing. So all of that weird political stuff hasn't ever been hasn't ever been hashed out. So who knows? Do you have a flag? <laughs> Do you have a flag? And we stuck our flag there. So guess what? It's ours now. And you, yes. you, my four-legged friend, I am going to get you a little trophy. It's going to be called King of the Segways. You're going to have a little crown on your head, King of the Segways, because you just mentioned Antarctica. And check this out. I did. December the 8th, 
2014, Metallica becomes the first band to play in Antarctica, making them the first band to play on all seven continents. Or, as I say, hmm. the first band to suck on all seven continents. Twiddly does not endorse. <laughs> <laughs> or detract. The grand, from, the grandfathers of the Herdader yeah, and the Herdader music. From, uh, yeah. What are, they, what are they playing? Were they opening Penguin Spock? <laughs> Is that it? All Emperor Penguins are out there like... Yeah, ride the lightning. <laughs> they never play this one live, you know. Oh, I hope they do. I hope they do one. They they, they achieved uh, it was a brand new Guinness World Record uh, title. Um, they were the first music act to play a concert in all seven of Earth's continents. Hello, Moon. So long, Metallica. Um, yeah. uh, the band set the record after they entertained one hundred and twenty scientists and and competition winners. In a transparent dome at, at the Carlini Station in Antarctica, and it was a su- wow. and it was a Sunday, no less. So you know, the Penguins had the day off, I guess. And no one thought to leave them there. <laughs> Swiftly does not endorse. <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, you know, this is this is like the great space race between the United States and the Soviet Union. You know, Metallica is the band that played on all seven continents. Now we know that the reconstituted Guns N' Roses will be the first ones to try and play on the moon. They'll give up halfway through, and then what'll happen is Axl Rose will just eat four cases of moon pies <laughs> before they tour Las Vegas. No, you know who's going to... It's going to be Russia. They're going to say Gorky Park. Remember that? Uh, <laughs> oh, they'll just send the Scorpions, but the Scorpions won't know that's where they're going. The Scorpions went for they're Germany. St- <laughs> step off out of the out of the rocket into, into zero... Gravity and uh, and a vacuum of space. Oh. God, you know what's going to end up on worst song ever? That Winds of Change song. Oh, those scorpions. Yeah. Getting back to Metallica, there was a period of time, about the same amount of time it takes me to crack my knuckles, that I liked Metallica. We were in high school right at that point where all of the criminals and future criminals, everybody freaking loved Metallica because right. they were they were the heaviest you know thing at the time. Or the yep. least heaviest, you can make the argument that they were mainstream. I mean, I know all these people like to think that they were underground, but they, they weren't. They were touring with Ozzy. Right. So, um, right. but yeah, like I, I think Master of Puppets came out in like 86, something around there. So we were still in high school. Mm-hmm. I liked the Injustice for All album. I thought that was okay, and I saw... The th- album with no bass. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? That I saw that tour, uh, one concert, it was great, it was in Worcester, and the next night I saw it again, and I walked out, because it was boring. Yeah, I, I've never seen them live. The only album I like of theirs is Master of Puppets. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't... I, I, got, I get into like almost a fist fight with my ex-girlfriend, because I don't like that. Nope. I don't like that album. That's the only, that's the only one I like. Yeah. That's, the, that's the only one that, that holds my interest. And the other ones, they're fighting with lineup changes and trying to find a sound that gets them, admittedly not a bad thing, because being in a band isn't a hobby, right? right. That gets them more airplay, and, and they sort of got there with the Smell the Glove record that they put out, the Black album. Yep. Once they get into... You know, using their records to deal with their personal issues and stuff. I was, I was so not interested in that at all. Yeah, well, like, I mean, they cha- they I, changed their sound around a lot. They weren't the anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I, I've honestly have not heard a Metallica album through. You know, from eight, from all the way through since Justice for All. I, I just, I just right. lost it. They were, they, they weren't my band. Yeah, they, they weren't my band either. No, remember that was funny though. Like in the '90s, whenever alternative music was like the thing and metallica like 
bought Lollapalooza. It's like, no, Metallica, you're a metal band. It's right in your name, remember? <laughs> yeah, they had so much crossover appeal at that point, though, because of stuff like Nirvana had a metal edge to it and well, a lot of the Herditor singers from... But a lot of that crossover appeal was what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, was Paola, where Metallica was... You know, well, not them, but I'm sure, well, maybe they had, had something to do with it, too. But they were paying the alternative radio stations to play the records. Well, that's the only way you could get Nothing Else Matters on the radio today. <laughs> oh, that wasn't even a joke. I thought you would just use it to play our words. No, it wasn't even a joke. That song's terrible. <laughs> I thought I'm, I thought you were just what, saying, well, <laughs> Nothing Else Matters, so. No, 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 no. I was not. I'm not, I'm not quick enough to come up with that uh, pun. Listen, wait, I'm going to crack my knuckles. And we're done with Metallica. Moving on the next day. We're back in space as of December 9th. Go, uh, go on. In 1978, the golden age of space exploration, apparently. Uh, Pioneer's Venus 2 drops five probes into the atmosphere of Venus. This is the, uh, as it's known, Pioneer mission. Those atmospheric probes send back a whole bunch of data for about 25 minutes before the atmosphere's acidity, heat, and gravity squashes them into tiny little broken appliances that fall harmlessly to the ground below i could just see the guys now well that was a waste of money well i thought thought, do we have a warranty on these we're gonna need to roll a truck i understand like the pots are made by volkswagen (laughs) oh my gosh these are we're gonna be here for a while 500 dollar lights on for all five of them (laughs) but sometimes that's like the only way that you learn you know that the you know the probe is only going to last for x number of minutes so you've got to try and get it to like compress and ship as much data from all these all these sensors on it as it possibly can before it burns out and it's a tremendous amount of information gets learned in that short short time that the venus probes existed it was it was before i think it was the um before that it wasn't mariner was the viking probe was the one that landed on the surface took two pictures and then just went so to, to see that one it had a rocky surface two the atmospheric temperature was 800 some odd degrees which is way hotter than scientists thought it would be and now they start to <laughs> to, to to think about why it's, it is like it is and not like Earth because Earth is its nearest neighbor. The first probe is like, what did you learn? Oh, uh, a place is hot. Second probe. All right, guys, what did you learn? It's wicked hot. <laughs> it sucks. It still sucks. Uh, so that's December 9th. Pioneer Venus 2 drops five probes in the atmosphere of Venus. Uh, I will say the only thing that could make this story funnier was that if it was a different choice of planets and the Pioneer Venus 2 dropped five probes into your anus. <laughs> All right, so let's get on to December the 10th. Yeah. December the 10th, 1901, Wilhelm Retchen, and that's his name, yep. is awarded is awarded the very first Nobel Prize for Physics uh, for discovering X-rays. And now when you go and break a bone, you get about, I think it's like, two wrenches. That's how the measurement of x-ray power is described. Mm-hmm. That's how you can see the break in your bones. All right. And or or your teeth whenever they put the big bib on you. Lead-lined bib on you. Yeah. Yep. I went for a weird x-ray one time where they actually did uh, an x-ray of my inner organs. Mm-hmm. The prep for it is not a good time. It's not a good time because no, you, 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 you cannot have any food, any solids in your system like whatsoever. So... Um, you know, redacted. Uh, Must be wicked hard getting the bones out. <laughs> no, no solid foods in your digestive tract, I should say. Oh. And uh, yeah, getting them bones out is a bitch. So uh, I was gonna say, getting them in is worse. Getting them back in has got to be even worse. It's like that issue of Wolverine when Magneto just pulled out his skeleton. So at any rate, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, prep notwithstanding. So I go in and they're they're taking these X-rays of my organs because they thought I had uh, they thought I might have had kidney stones. So the girl says to me, she's like, "Okay, void, 
I'm like, huh? She's like, void? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking into the abyss right now, yep. sister. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> You should have. You should have been around last night when I was down in citrus magnesium like it was cocktails. Right, right. No, right. I was like, I, void. I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, she just looks at me like I'm an idiot. She goes, go pee. I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, yeah, I, I could do that. Thank, well, th- well, thank you, Doctor Nietzsche. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was going to be something. I thought we were having a philosophical conversation here. And then I, I said to after I peed and they took another picture and all that. I was like. So, can I see my x-rays? And she's like, you want to see them? I was like, hell yeah. When else do I get to see my kidneys on the big screen, you know? So, right. she's over there showing the x-rays. And she goes, and here's your bladder full. And here's your bladder empty. I was like, wow, it's yes. it's it's way way bigger than I thought it was going to be. Because I, like, always have to pee. I just assumed that yeah. my my bladder was, like, roughly the size of a walnut. Oh, I had to I had to, to, to void for a... <laughs> um, a- a, a test before I was I started a new job. This is some years back. Mm-hmm. I, I've had performance anxiety before, but never at this point. I've never had to not pee so much in my entire <laughs> life. I felt like I could do anything. I could drink a billion gallons of water. I'd be like, not going to happen. Nope. I had a friend like that that absolutely just could not void in a public restroom. Like, yep. yep if there was anybody standing next to him, yep, he would. He would just be staring into the void and not <laughs> staring into staring into yeah. the, not that void the other void he would, the Nietzsche void he would have he would be <laughs> avoiding the void. That's the worst thing too is like and then and then like usually that you know you get back in the car and you're like two miles away from whatever gas station it was that you had to stop at because you couldn't hold it anymore and and then it's like oh you're back <laughs> awesome we get to go live this again in four miles you know no it's the worst is when you because I do road trips a lot right mm-hmm. when you really 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 have to void. And, and then, like, I mean, you're talking like, like, like nine point five out of ten that you have to, you have to go. You get, you get to the the rest area, and you're walking towards the right. bathroom, and your eyes see the bathroom, and your bladder is like, oh, bathroom, game on, and you're like, you're like right? Like, <laughs> it's like, no, wait, no, we're not even there yet. Come on. Oh no! I should have kept a Snapple bottle in my car. I just done it there. You're over there. I'm, I'm, I'm like a grown man, like doing the C clamp on my junk, so I don't freaking yeah. piss myself going into the. Yep. <laughs> I've done the C clamp walk a number of times on many road trips. Ah uh, yes. So moving, Always moving along uh, out of this hole we just dug ourselves into. Right. Next up, December 11th. December 11th uh, in 2019, climate activist Greta Thunberg is named Times Mag- Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Now irrespective of what you think of her position. It's an, an amazing feat that a, a girl so young, by demonstrating in front of the Oslo capital by herself, could inspire so many people to also demonstrate and work towards addressing the issues brought about by climate change. Now, again, politics notwithstanding, the the ability for someone to lead by that sort of example is a very rare quality. One of the things that we do at the place that I work is that we teach leadership. Uh, and as an example of leadership, one of the conditions we always describe is the ability to inspire actions in other people by virtue of how you act. Someone as young as Greta Thunberg being able to deliver that kind of inspiration is, a, is an amazing story. And I, and I hope that it gives me hope for the future when I look at how our next generation or even two generations down the road are looking at the world and seeing that they don't have to wait to be old to make a difference, that they can they can start to do it now, working towards whatever end goal they f- they find is important. I'm going to do that next time my boss denies me a vacation day. I'm just going to say like in, in Greta's accent, you stole my happiness. 
Oh, you should go. Well, <laughs> the key is like, I think if you're in Sweden, you have to go to Oslo and, and hold up your sign in front of the parliament there. Mm. So you can say like, I need a day off and it was denied. And they'll be like, what is that man doing outside? Like, oh, ah. Uh. <laughs> I don't know what his sign says, but he's, I can't do a Swedish accent to save my life. So, <laughs> Sven, get the album records. That's more German than Swedish. <laughs> If you change your mind, take a chance, take a chance. My, my knowledge of Sweden like starts and ends with ABBA with a little bit of that band Europe thrown in there. Oh, the final countdown. Yes. Uh, you know what I really liked was she was, she stuck to her guns because whenever mm-hmm. she testified in America, she didn't like use any fossil fuels and anything to get there. She took a boat. Yep. Yeah. Well, again, you know, by virtue of the type of person you are, if you have that that characteristic towards leadership then it it what you do becomes inspiring and then not realizing that that's the case as she did using that as a way to to demonstrate the behavior that you want to see in others which is kind of what a leader yep. does it makes also sense, so. i think she yeah. you know she's 12 she grew up on facebook i'm quite sure she's aware that if she took a plane there the you know the the opposition would just right. rip her to shreds call, call her yep. a hypocrite and, I, like and I, she had enough impact that even my kids you know were inspired by her some all right now going on to december the 12th 1694 Whoa. wow that's going back yep. The Royal Society censures Edmund Haley, uh, famous for Haley's Comet Discovery. Mm-hmm. He had suggested in a paper titled Some Considerations About the Cause of the Universal Deluge. Anyway, he has a story that um, he suggests that Noah's flood could have probably been uh, the cause of uh, from like a comet. Mm-hmm. Cometary impact. Yeah, yeah. Instead, yeah, instead of, uh, you know, God. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that the Royal Society at the time was like, well, Mr. Comet, I'm sure every problem will be comet-oriented when you come to see us. You know, we find one comet that comes every 75 years, and it's going to be comet this and comet that and comet everything else. Oh, um, I, and... I seem to have spilled my beverage. Must have been a comet. It must have been a comet. Now I stuffed my shoe on the side of the comet. <laughs> you know, the sun never sets on the English Empire, but a comet could smash it all. But no, so yeah, as you know, this is as society is developing. We're in the Enlightenment period in 1694, right? And people are starting to look at the history of the world in a, from a more scientific manner. So to think like, hey, maybe this flood was caused by a big rock hitting the ocean. If I throw a big rock into a pond, there's going to be a big wave that's going to splash on my feet. Who knows? It could have been that. Uh, how about this? There was no global flood. There's an idea. There was no. <laughs> you and your failure to see the necessity of a flood to cleanse <laughs> the earth of man. And sin. I mean, that was a uh, that was a uh, <laughs> Winston Churchill for doing the Royal Society for you there. So uh, I'm I'm not sure if in, in the 17th century if heresy was still punishable by death. It certainly isn't now, not in this country anyway. So here's me. The uh, there there was apparently some huge flood, but it was like a localized thing. It certainly wasn't mm-hmm. global because that's just impossible. Noah's Ark is such an interesting story to talk about with like true believers because. The second you apply any amount of logic to that story, it just falls apart. Oh, that, and it appears in in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is like 5,000 years earlier. Yeah, there's many different versions of that story throughout different religions and mythologies and stuff like that. Like, if you take the, the dimensions of Noah's Ark, it's roughly about the size of a football stadium. Now, that's a pretty big boat. 
okay? That's a big-ass boat. But you're not going to fit all the animals of the world in there. You can only fit about 80,000 people in there. Right. As evidenced by the 1972 Super Bowl. Yeah. And uh, and actually, in, in the Bible, it, uh, it talks about this, like, there was only one window. That is going to smell tremendous. Especially 40, 40 days on a boat full of 40 days. Nothing, dude. That's only how long the, the rain lasted. They were on that boat for over a year, according to the story. Yep. Well, you know what that means? Comet impact for everyone. <laughs> comets. The comets did it all. You know how you know how the, the water comets. went away? A comet hit and it made like a big well, drip. The, the next thing you'll suggest, Mr. Haley, is that the dinosaurs were destroyed by God. <laughs> but it was some comet. Yeah, so I'm sure that that was part of the discussion, too. <laughs> Poo-poo on you, sir. Oh, do you want to go on a roller coaster? Maybe we'll go on the, the Comet over in New Jersey. We'll be charging you four pence penalty. <laughs> yes, December 13th, we're staying in space and we're still talking about rocks. Uh, in 2017, scientists begin checking the interstellar asteroid Oamuma, which... I'm sorry, what was it? Oamuma, or Oamuama. I don't know, they should have named it like Bob. It would have been way easier. <laughs> It's the first uh, object that we've tracked that has entered our solar system from the outside. Uh, that's close enough for us to see and take readings off of and stuff that we've fully identified. And it's a funny-shaped thing. It looks like big, really long, but really thin, almost cylindrical rock. Uh, anyway, in 2017, scientists began sexy. using radio signals to see if there's any alien technology that's driving this because its trajectory is unusual it is not moving the way that it is expected to based on the path by which it entered the solar system so there's something that is influencing how it moves and whether it is uh, off gassing from the the featureless substance itself or if it's being interacted with by gravity or dark matter some of the thing is still an unknown but it's a really interesting uh Interesting piece, which I'm sure had Edward Haley spotted it, he would have said to the Royal Society, Will you see? It's a big, dick-shaped comet. It's very large, you see. You could destroy all life on Earth. Now, they thought this was like, it came in from out of our solar system. Yep. That would have been great if it was a message from, like, some, you know, other world uh, life forms that found the Voyager 2. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a note that says, that album was okay, but it's no Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> Damn them. They must have put the good Metallica record on there. But no, that's like the pretty much the plot of, of Star Trek The Motion Picture, which I believe also premiered this week. Uh, yeah, I got it somewhere. Yeah, on the 7th. Uh, December ah, 7th, so. 1979. That one, Vo- Voyager 2 comes back to Earth after crashing into an alien probe and it comes back to to destroy those who sent it because the alien probe had sort of taken over and followed back its radio signals. Yeah, you know what else happened on December 7th? Paul McCartney and Wings released Band on the Run. (laughs) Further proving... Speaking of bad albums, by people who are dead, apparently. Further proving the non-death... Of Paul McCartney. Of Paul McCartney. So, uh, speaking of December the 7th, and... Uh, well, technically, that was the plot of Star Trek Three. now that I think about it, right? They bring Spock back to life, so... I have never seen a single episode of any Star Trek anything ever. So, technically, you have no idea that I could be just bluffing. You could, yeah, you could be either. just pulling stuff right out of your butt, yep. It was like the episode that crossed over with the monkeys. It was that episode with the comet in it. <laughs> they, found the, they found the comet that destroyed all the dinosaurs. All right. Uh, let's get on to the celebrity birthdays. 
All uh, right, just, celebrity birthdays. December the 7th, 1923. I have an affinity for comedy and, you know, and like the history of comedy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And to me, the straight man is just as and sometimes more important than the the funny person or the stooge, what they call the stooge. And Ted Knight, whose birthday is December 7th, 1923, is one of the greatest straight men like in history. Caddyshack is uh, just amazing. Yeah, and he really made his mark on like the Mary Tyler Moore show with that sort of super duper sure of himself, but clearly an idiot character. And And that is totally who he plays in Caddyshack as Judge Smales, Judge Elihu Smales. Like it is kind of like the same character. It's it's very like you said, very uh, great word to say, very cocksure. (laughs) But yeah, also kind of an idiot, but also like short tempered and angry. Yes. Do you have a favorite Ted Knight quote? Uh, just the simple. Well, we're waiting. (laughs) Caddyshack is a is definitely the best one. Uh, yeah. My my favorite from that is when he reads the poem before they, they christen his yacht, the, the sailing wasp, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And he goes, it's easy to grin when your ship has come in and you've got the stock market beat. But the man who can smile is the man who's worthwhile. When it's short to do tight in the seat. That's my favorite. Uh, I, I got to go back and watch that movie sometime soon. So a movie that I should also go back and watch is American Werewolf in London, which on December 8th of 1950, the special effects artist Rick Baker uh, did the special effects for, winning the first ever Academy Award for special makeup effects. Uh, so Rick Baker, happy birthday on December 8th. And he's done stuff that it's from American Werewolf in London, which is groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. So to do stuff that was even more subtle, like turning Martin Landau into Bella Lugosi, which if you put the two of those two guys, pictures of those two guys together next to each other, they are, it's uncanny. Right. Uh, so amazing, groundbreaking, fantastic uh, special effects. Yeah. I mean, obviously my favorite thing he did was the metamorphosis sequence from American Werewolf in London. That's just, mm-hmm. that's just nuts. But he also did the famous chicken face peeling sequence from Poltergeist. Yeah. That's- and uh, speaking of the American Werewolf in London, he also did the, the sort of similar homage to that that he that he had done when he did the Michael Jackson thriller video. Yes. All right. So uh, coming up next on December the 9th, 1957, somebody who has never been a werewolf, uh, to the best of my knowledge, Donnie Osmond. Oh, nice. Uh, He wasn't a werewolf, but he was a pigeon. I only watched one season of The Masked Singer. It's a a very popular show, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun, that show. I'll say that. He was one of the first performers out, and he was the last one eliminated. He's the one that, uh, oh, he's not the one that that won the show, I don't think, but he was in the, he, he made it to the finals. He was the first person out there. I was like, that's Donny Osmond. Like, I knew it right away. I don't know what it was, but I was like, that's Donny Osmond. And throughout the season, I doubted myself, but I was right. It was Donny Osmond. Huh. I used to watch the Donny and Marie show when I was a little kid. Were you, were you a little nights. bit country or were you a little bit rock and roll? I was I was definitely a little bit rock and roll. Yeah. And then they. I remember my dad used to make the most awesome noises whenever they would they would do like puppy love. Oh. <laughs> like he would make a face like, eh, eh, turn this off. Ah. And then he'd say, it's a brother and sister singing to each other about puppy love. And yep. so that was my experience with the Osmond family. Yep. Um, they used to watch that at my memes. Yeah, that's when I watched. That's where I was. Well, not at your memes, but at my memes. Yep. Yes. All right. Uh, and then we would watch Hee Haw. Uh, moving on to, oh, Hee Haw. Jesus Christ. It took a long time for me to learn how to read, Bill. I think <laughs> TV might have had something to do that. I, I potty trained late. 
So <laughs> I still eat paste. So moving on to the tenth, my first television crush that I remember as a child who wasn't Batgirl, uh, Susan Day, who was the uh, the oldest sister on the Partridge Family TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have no idea if she sang on any of the records. I don't think she did. And I only remember her being in one film after the Partridge Family, techno thriller. And I'm saying that making air quotes from like 1980 that seemed to be on cable TV a 437 million times called Looker. I watched that movie so many times. That was the I mean, that was the way HBO worked back then. It's like, oh, there's a movie on, let's right. watch it. And uh yeah, we Right. I, I still I could still hum the theme song too. Yeah. yeah, that was an interesting movie and it was like, you know, here's Puberty Bill uh watching Looker and it's like, oh, there's Susan Day. That's Susan Day from from the Pasha family. <gasps> She's naked. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what she's done after that or what she what she did before uh, she was that on a, film other than the Parker She was family. on a TV series. She was on like Law and Order or something. Oh, she was, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Was it? No, it wasn't Law and Order. It was like LA Law. It was LA Law. Yep. Yeah, with uh Perseus from Clash of the Titans. Sure. Whatever you said. Harry I Hamlet. never watched either one. I just remember hear, hearing uh, about that one episode where the uh, the protagonist was killed by a comet. <laughs> of course he was. That's the comet defense of Edmund Haley. <laughs> Going all the way back to 1694 for your defense, are you? Mm-hmm. It's December the 11th, 1958. The bass player from the first band I ever saw in concert. Nikki Six from Motley Crue. Uh, oh, I was going to suggest it was somebody from the Wiggles. <laughs> No, Motley Crue was my first concert. I, wow. I I was never a huge Motley Crue fan. Put it this way. I liked Metallica more than I ever liked Motley Crue. How's that? Uh, Fair enough. But they were playing with Whitesnake, and I liked them at the time. So uh, so I went. It was fun. They they put on a great show. They were a lot of fun. Yeah, I saw them a couple of times. Yeah. Did you watch, um, uh, did you watch that years. Netflix biopic there, The Dirt, nope. about Motley Crue? I did not. It was enlightening. It was, it was, I, I look at these guys now and I'm like, how the hell are you alive? Right. You, you know, here, here's, you know, here's you and I, we're, we're, we're getting to towards that age with what they call the Bermuda Triangle of health. Um, <laughs> and, I have never heard that expression before. And I'm like, oh, my heart rate. I'm, I'm just sitting here at 75. I must, I must, I must be having a heart attack, you know, but these guys are like waking up from an overdose with the spike still in their arm yeah. and then like shooting up again. Yeah. It's, I, again, yeah. that, that sort of uh, LA rock and roll scene in the eighties must've been something else to be, to be around. I yeah. can only imagine. All right, next. All right. December 12th, 1953. Speaking of glammy rockers, uh, Bruce Kulick, the American rock guitarist who joined kiss. And I'm sure Bill can tell me the year. Cause I can't remember. They went through like 17 guitarists over the course of yeah, three years. and That was the Spinal Tap uh, era right there. Spinal Tap drummer era, yes. Yeah, he came in around 86. Ace Frehley left the band, ugh, I'm going to say 82, mm-hmm. 82 or 83. Uh, then Vinnie Vincent came on board. Right. And then Vinnie Vincent was replaced by Mark St. John. Right. And Mark St. John developed this like weird thing where his hands like swelled up like balloons he couldn't play guitar so he recorded the album but he couldn't go out on tour so that's when bruce kulik came on board and then bruce kulik he stayed in the band until uh until the reunion in 1996 so he was in the band for about 10 years Oh wow that's a long time yeah he got the uh he kind of got the sticky end of the lollipop you know because he did a lot of great work with them Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, his brother Bob Kulik, who uh, who died actually earlier this year, 
Bob Kulik was like second place for putting Kiss together. If Ace Frehley didn't win the auditions, Bob Kulik would have would have taken oh, wow. that, that position. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and then later on, whenever they did all their solo albums, Bob Kulik was the principal guitar player on Paul Stanley's solo album. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Huh. Yeah, and I and I believe I I could be talking out of school here. During the Destroyer sessions, mm-hmm. Ace Frehley was a, you know a mess and didn't show up. Yep. So like so other people were like doing guitar solos mm-hmm. for him, and I believe Bob Kulik did one or two of the guitar solos on that album. Ah, wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, I'll have to go back and I'll have to go back and check it. I just listened to that record this week. Yeah. Uh, Ace is like, I'm listening to the album. And I'm like, I don't remember playing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's because. As it wasn't but you. that's Bob Kulik. Yep, that's Bob Kulik. It's uh, but it's actually Bruce Kulik's birthday. And the third concert that I ever saw was Kiss ah. on the Crazy Nights tour, and it was on on uh, Bruce Kulik's birthday actually. Oh, that's cool. So he, it's it's yep. interesting that he missed the all important Phantom of the Park year. Yes, but he did record the Hot in the Shade album, which is uh, <laughs> it's it's tough. It's like their longest album. There's like like twenty songs on it, three of which are okay. <laughs> All right. So yep. like the uh, was it like the Kiss Sings the Elder, a record that I bought, listened to once, and was like, I don't know what this is, but I don't like it, and I'm not going to put it on again. I prefer that album. Do you really? Okay, so wow, this one is this one is really like finding you know somebody's fingernail in your subway sandwich. Yeah, yeah. They should have called it the Comet. The only thing that could have improved this album would have been a Comet strike on the studio. All right, and uh, okay. So coming up, December 13th, 1948, is Ted Nugent's birthday. And oddly enough, when I saw Kiss, Ted Nugent was the opening band. Huh. Okay, now here's the challenge. We're going to talk a little bit about Ted Nugent. We are not allowed to mention politics or hunting. And go. So I was hunting for Ted Nugent records. <laughs> no. In the Republican section. <laughs> no, no. I love Ted Nugent's music. I grew up, like, I remember his, when he had the videos for Heads Will Roll and... Wango oh, Tango yeah. were on MTV I like that first roll, yeah. first or second year that MTV was on the air and I always looked forward yep. to it. Uh, I loved the Cat Scratch Fever record. He's he was always that guy who was like the 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 rock guitar god that was pitted in Cream magazine or Rolling Stone up against Eddie Van Halen mm-hmm. for who was better and went back and listened to the Amboy Dukes albums and and just to, to listen to him. He's a virtuoso player and a great great guitarist until he was yep. in Damn Yankees which was terrible. <laughs> yeah, musically I mean, the great Gonzo's, the best of mm-hmm. Ted Nugent yep. is like a must-have. Yep. I absolutely love the song Wango Tango. Yeah. I saw Ted Nugent live twice, and both times he didn't play Wango Tango. I'm like, what the f***, Ted? But then I saw a live version of Wango Tango, like fairly, you know, I'm not going to say recent. Around the same time I saw him live, mm-hmm. I saw that he did play Wango Tango, and that song doesn't translate well live. No. I wouldn't think so. All right, well, that's 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 a studio that's a studio song. Uh, Yeah, damn Yankees were terrible. That Ted, well, they weren't terrible. I guess they were terrible for me, but not for everybody. I guess. But Ted Nugent didn't belong in that band. Well, neither did Tommy Shaw. Yeah, like nobody belonged belonged in that band. (laughs) The drummer, the drummer that I can't name. That band should that you know what you know that band should have had happen. (laughs) A comet should have taken that band out. It's terrible. (laughs) Interestingly enough, whenever they offered the job in Van Halen to Sammy Hagar, Sammy Hagar called Ted Nugent and said, what do I do? And it was Ted Nugent that gave him the pep talk to take the job. Yeah. He probably sent along a couple of yak steaks as well. (laughs) 
says, here's what you do. You jump up in a tree, right? <laughs> nope, 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 we can't, nope, no, no, uh, yeah, we can't make any hunting jokes because right. I'll tell you, the, I don't, I don't hunt. I'm not a hunter and right. all that. I don't like standing out in the woods because the last time I stood out in the woods for any length of time, I had to endure <laughs> the worst song ever. <laughs> And and what is our worst song ever this week, oh, Mr. Bill? Oh boy! <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you for letting me pick today's worst song ever. I, I, it is an honor that I will not take lightly. Going back just five short years ago, it uh, feels like a hundred and fifty years ago with this song, Bill. <laughs> no, that's how long the song feels. Uh, just okay, five, just five short short years ago, Adele released the song "Hello." Hello from the other side. <sighs> what can I say about Adele? We came up with our own product. It was Adele's Frozen Lemonade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a cup full of empty sadness. No, it's just a cup of tears. Yeah. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I listen to a lot of dark and dreary music. I kind of like it. I like Bauhaus, for an example. But I can't understand for the life of me why somebody would want to listen to this song over and over and over again. She sings, you know what she sings like? She sounds like Carol Burnett's impersonation of Tarzan. I don't. I think she has a voice that suits the material. My my issue with it is the material, and it's not just yeah. this song so much. It's her whole sort of voir for this particular record was nobody loves me, everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms, and you suck. Well, it's that's like the, the anti. It's like-, it's like the anti Taylor Swift. You broke up with me, and we'll never talk again. Therefore, I'm going to marinate myself in lamp oil and jump over this campfire. I'm going to so, make myself look like a comet. I make myself turn myself into and pull a comet down from the skies. But yeah, yeah but I, this so uh, this song and someone like you and uh, yeah, yeah, she sounds like a baying dog. Like, listen. have like a husky as a pet and an adele album nobody's sleeping nobody's sleeping in that house right it's just gonna be a bunch of that's true i have a dog and this is true uh <laughs> what i what, the first time i heard this song i thought like oh, i probably should buy this woman a home depot card so she can go and <laughs> go get some two by fours and some nails and build a bridge to get over herself but you know <laughs> I, was gonna say, I was gonna buy her up a, a subscription to okay cupid not, it's probably not a bad idea, you know. Yeah. Imagine the yeah. poor guy who dated her after this. So, so we gonna? <laughs> what would you? Would you like to order? Uh, what would you like to order first? He always ordered for me. And at that like, point, you know, you know, the, you start dating Adele for a little while. It's like you know, I really like you, and I, I'd like to take this to the next level. But I'm really just trying to put off you putting out another album as long as I possibly can. Oh, I'm pretty sure, based on her album content, that the next level is like excellent. I'm gonna sew myself directly to your skin, so we can never be more than. <laughs> Uh, stitch apart. All right. Before we wrap up the show, and now that we've taken the biggest piss we could possibly could on Adele. Um, yes. Sorry, Adele. Good luck. That's okay. You're, You'll you're, find the right one, I'm sure. You're no Ted Nugent. So um, I want to hear Adele cover Wang Dang, Sweet Poon Dang. No but way, that's, dude. No. That's just me. It's, 
Heads will roll. That's way more in her range. She could do the roll part like, <laughs> and carry it for like six or seven seconds right there. Uh, I was just going for the irony. Anyway, ah. so anyway, let's uh, before we uh, close up the show, the trivia okay. question was, where Whoa. were Venetian blinds invented? Venetian blinds. This is the super easiest trivia question you've ever given me, Bill, because Venetian blinds were very clearly invented in Venice, Italy. Nope, they were invented in... Venetia, Oklahoma. I'm only kidding. There is a town called Venetia in Oklahoma. No, they were actually invented in Japan. So I have no joke. I have no joke. That's just. Wait wait a minute. Wait, wait. Was this like an Axis Powers thing? When were they invented? (laughs) They were invented in 1769, just prior to the Great Comet controversy. Ah, of course, of course, it must be. So we know exactly who to blame this on. Yep. It Mahaney and his hatred of sunlight. This. It's a huge comet, and brightness is just messing up my sleep pattern. It's kind of going to close the blinds. It must be coming here to wipe out the dinosaurs. All right, but that is going to wrap up the uh, the heresy <laughs> episode of, Twi- <laughs> of Twibbly. Uh, don't get hit by a comet, anybody. Have a good week. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. See you guys all next time. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.